Welcome back, everyone. I am Lynn Gilliland. This is Lessons from Leaders. We are sponsored by Humentum as well as LG Consulting. And I have a great honor to introduce Susan Siegel, who is the co-founder and the CEO for Mobility International USA. And one of the and so welcome, Susan. Thank you for your time. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And I'm one of the reasons, Susan, I'm excited to have you here is, well, there's several parts. So one is the work that you're doing, your own way of being. When we talked about how you came to co-found this organization, there's just seemed to be, um, well, well, we'll talk about it. But I, because of your own story and the way that you show up in the world is one of the reasons I'm happy to have you here in addition to the work that you're doing. So... Just to get started, um, you founded Mobility International USA about 40 years ago, right? Yes. Right. Yes. Co-founded it. Yes. Co-founded. Yes. Let's not your, forget your fabulous co-founder. And so how, how, just tell how that came about. What, did you have a plan? Did you wake up one day and see the whole thing? Did you put one foot in front of the other? How did you get started? What made you think you could do this? Yeah, well, thank you for that question. You know, um, I have been studying at the University of California, Berkeley, and I got a Rotary scholarship and I studied a year in Australia. And during that year, I sort of asked myself two questions, like one, why aren't there more people with disabilities, all types of disabilities, having the opportunity to study abroad? And also, as I traveled, and I'm a wheelchair rider, as you know, I traveled on local buses through Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand. I kept running into people with disabilities. And even though, obviously, our life situation was very different, I felt like we're all part of the same family. So when I came back to study, finished my master's at the University of Oregon, I wanted to um, co-found an organization with my colleague, Barbara Williams, to be able to ensure that people with disabilities had the opportunity to be leaders, whether it's through international exchange, international development, leadership training. And I also wanted to build a pipeline of leaders so more people with disabilities had the opportunities to participate in exchange. And, you know, it's the classic story. Um, I surrounded myself with people who believed in this dream and this idea. And with a donation of $500, it all began. I did not know about the donation of $500. (laughs) So things, sometimes big dreams start with, as you know, with uh, small steps. So it is uh, quite amazing now looking back on it. I mean, we've worked with, you know, way over 2,300 people from 135 different countries. So, um, yeah, it's been an amazing journey. And so when you started, did you, like, did you see the whole thing? Did you just see the next step? Can you tell us? And the reason I'm asking is a lot of times we think we have to know the whole story before we have to know the how before we start. And so... That's why I'm asking you how you what what you saw when you started. Right. Well, you know, um, I definitely, you know, I was still a student while I was still finishing my master's. And I think it, 
I, I think the vision is like sometimes it's good not to know what you don't know. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I didn't try to, I don't think I ever overthink, was overthinking it. I thought, well, let's start with one exchange program. Let's, you know, and so we slowly started to do that. Then we got some funding from um, the State Department. But then we you know, realized that international exchange was great. People were seeing opportunities like how disabled people can be in the regular schools, have transportation have laws but we had to go beyond exchanges because we wanted to see how could people with disabilities make sustainable changes in their own countries how do they change the laws in their countries how do we ensure that all the programs that say that USAID does includes people with disabilities so it went from exchanges and then it also added international development we're also known for our leadership training for both people with disabilities both men and women and then um, the last trajectory I would say was we've been doing consulting with organizations many who belong to interaction with uh, foundations like the MacArthur Foundation. So it's like, how do we constantly do systems changing so that we change individuals, we help them make changes in their countries, and we um, we change how big foundations hopefully do the work that they do as well. So um, I, I think as we heard from people with disabilities from so many different countries that helped us change our trajectory of what we were doing. So it's part having a vision yourself and having the courage to follow it. And then it's part, what does the world want from you or what do your constituents need from you? It's like those. Right. I think that's true. And as I say, you know, I'm, I'm a, as I self identify as a wheelchair rider, um, you know, I happened to, um, I became disabled when I was 18. So I, you know, from, from the time I was born till 18, I was a non-disabled person. So when suddenly people were saying, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that, this, this whole idea of discrimination with, for me, was so outrageous, like, of course, we should be all included, that I I think, you know, that probably led to not having a lot of self-doubt, because it's, you know, what sometimes we describe as having a rights-bearing attitude, that, of course, people with disabilities around your world have the same rights. So, if you believe that, you know, both in your head and your heart, then the path to making those changes seems very clear. And, and I asked you this the last time we talked, and you're, you're touching on it now. So, you know, I specifically asked you if you've ever suffered from imposter syndrome, and you said not, no. And, and so, my impression is, like, you're, you've been clear, and maybe you've had been wobbly now and again, but mostly you've been like, we're going forward, we'll see what happens. Like, why, why not me? Somebody has to do this, why not me? Is that... Fair, or how would you recategorize that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And um, when you asked me that last time, I was really thinking about that, you know. And I, I think, you know, my my parents, um, you know, gave me a you know a lot of self confidence and and how they lived their lives. And I think. My, my way of thinking is I'm going to do the best that I can do. And I have a clear vision of, you know, in terms of justice, the, the, the change that needs to happen in the world. And I will surround myself with the best possible people I can. And if somebody else can do it better, 
so be it, let them do it. But um, I, I just felt like, you know, what I want to do with my life is use the time that I am here to do the best possible thing. So I think I've been so focused on the work that I, I, um, I haven't really spent a lot of time on the self-doubt. And, you know, then when I got a, um, a MacArthur uh, scholarship or fellowship, which, which obviously, you know, was very prestigious and, and was quite amazing, I saw that all these other people who had um, achieved all these things, you know, they talked a lot about did everybody in the room feel that they didn't deserve it? And I think always people maybe had that thought, but most of them were also just so focused on the work that they were doing that that's all encompassing. Did you feel like when you got the MacArthur that that was like, why me? Did you have that thought that you said others had? Um, I I think I was, you know, you know, I would think I was, I didn't, I think I didn't see it so much. It was about me. It was more about the work that was, that was accomplished. I think I was just so in shock. I'm not sure I thought of anything just, um, but what an, what an incredible um, honor and an acknowledgement. And actually I'm still, um, you know, friends and colleagues with some of the people who got there and I'm, I'm in awe of some of the things that they're accomplishing. So, yeah. And um, I was just incredibly um, honored. I can, um, I can imagine the, 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 the affirmation, but also the what feeling. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And so what I'm taking from part of what you're saying, and I'm, I'm underlying this because I know a lot of people, um, this is their, one of their bugaboos, is that you were so, you've been so focused on the purpose, what you're trying to create, that your, the self hasn't gotten doubts, why me, am I good enough, do I know enough, that hasn't, maybe one of the reasons that you hasn't tripped you up, you are so focused mm -hmm. on what you're trying to bring about in the world. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing. You know, in um, in Judaism, um, which, you know, I'm Jewish, there's a, a phrase that you might have heard called tikkun olam, which is sort of mending or repairing the world. And I think it's sort of like it's just in your gut that, um, you know, that, you know, what you want to do with your life is do your part. You're not going to fix everything you're, you know, you know, this, you know, you can only do so much, but with the time you have and with the, the best of your knowledge and the best of your skills, what can you do? You know, and you kind of, yeah, you kind of have a, have to have a bit of, um, I think you have to be optimistic. You have to be joyous, but you also have to have perhaps what I'd call righteous anger on the things that need to be corrected. I love that. I love the do your part, and what what you bring is enough for what you you what you're creating, and other people will contribute too. And you've talked about you know other people learning from them. You, I think you told me in the Kel when you were in the Kellogg Leadership Program. Am I getting that right? Uh -huh. You've learned a lot there and from other other people, right? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been really fortunate to do have be in a few leadership programs, which is why we do also leadership training. And I think there's something about, you know, you create an environment for people to learn and for people to see themselves as leaders. And, you know, 
it does take a bit of confidence, you know, to be a leader. You know, you 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 have to be the the person, you know, in the conference who puts your hand up first or who says something, who's not quiet. And um, so I've been thinking about how do you create an environment so that other people start seeing themselves as leaders. And the great thing is we've been hearing from um, our alumni from so many different years who say, you know, when they came to our women's leadership program, for instance, that then something switched in their head and then they came back to their countries and they, they said things, they started their own, ex- own organizations. They said, yeah, why not me? Why shouldn't they be the one to do it? And, um, you know, that is awesome. And then you're, you've been modeling that the last 40 years, you know, why not? Yeah. yeah, why not you? Yeah. And so for you, what are the leadership attributes that you try to, that you either do, aspire to do, that you think are important? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, you know, I think every leader, as I'm sure you've interviewed so many amazing CEOs, and I've listened to some of the interviews, and like everyone has their own style and their own ways of making change. Again, for me, I think it takes a lot of persistence. I mean, you are definitely knocked down over and over in so many different ways, and you've got to you've got to stay the course. You have to be a bit optimistic. Um, otherwise, you will be burnt out. I think um, you have to, as we talked about, surround yourself with people who have skills that you don't have. And I think you have to be very, um, I'm no problem. I know all the things I'm not good at and be surrounded by people who are good at those things. And as I said before, um, you have to combine being optimistic and joyous with righteous anger. And I think that's the balance that if that's a very important balance to be able to do. So I love the optimistic and joyful with righteous anger. So, and tell me when you see someone who has is optimistic and joyful with righteous anger, what do you see in that person? What do you see them doing or being well, I would say, you know, um, you know, if I see a, like a policy, like, you know, the, the importance, let's say, having women be included in all international development programs. So, you know, where are the disabled people in the literacy program, in the microcredit, in water and sanitation and education that you, you, you have to stay on that and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. But as you probably know, one of the biggest things about leadership is having relationships. Mm -hmm. So for me to make changes, I need to have positive relationships, whether it's with other CEOs or other people in the government. And so you have to be persistent, but you also have to form positive relationships with people because as we know, you can't do things unless you have allies. And um, as you know, I've been been, um, part of Interaction. There's a really strong uh, women's CEO retreat that Interaction does. And, you know, when it works, you can really feel the solidarity of other leaders who work together. So that's it at its best point. And then sometimes you just you just have to um, you have to stay at it and you have to somehow not get burnt out on it, too. And does the joyful come in in the relationships? Like I'm almost it almost sounds like. um, Empathy, caring for the other, like the joyful is there's caring in it that that you bring that 
as part of the relationships? Right. I think it's, um, and I, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to, um, I think, you know, when I think about this, what's going in my head is, you know, I'm first generation American. My parents are both Holocaust survivors. And despite the horrific things that had happened to them and happened to my immediate family, my parents were like the most joyful people I've ever met, you know. And I think somehow that that, that gift stayed with me. And I, I you know... I think there is something about can you can you deal with everything that's on your to-do list and at the same time understand that we're only on this planet for a few years and none of us know how long. And I, I think there's some, again, way if you can carry both those thoughts at the same time. You know, one of my mom's favorite sayings was treasure each day. I mean, can you do that, but also deal with the very hard realities of everything you need to get done? And, and um, I think that's the art of living in some ways. Do you have any like practices that you do to keep yourself in balance? Is it like a little mantra, optimistic, joyful, but righteous anger? Or it's just so in your DNA that it's always with you. I would think you'd get knocked sideways sometimes. Yeah, of course. And like um, all people, I, you know, I, I, when I get knocked, knocked sideways, um, probably like you, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming other CEOs and other people in, in, in leadership positions, you know, you have a few trusted friends, a few that you let it all out, that you vent, that you get it out, that you hit the wall. I mean, I mean, I think you have to be very realistic about it and they help you get through it. I mean, I, I think um, none of us can do these journeys alone. Right. Which is a, a theme that, that, you know, you, you bring up that often. I just want to underline the theme of doing it with others, relationships, the other leaders you met in Kellogg and McCarthy, MacArthur, um, and your staff, like you're in the women's CEO interaction, women's C CEO group, like the, I just want to underline that it is not a, a soul warrior. Right. Yeah. And so I know you work a lot with young leaders. What advice would you give, for instance, to our listeners, to up and coming, aspiring, or people you wish would step into leadership roles? Yeah, well, I, you know, I actually, I just spoke to a, on Zoom, of course, to a, a university class. And, you know, a lot of um, the uh, co-founding, I actually co-founded two organizations, I, both times I did as a student. And, um, yeah, so I guess my, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't say advice, I would, you know, I would maybe say some insights that I would share is, is sort of what you said in the beginning is not, you know, don't think so much about doubting yourself. Think about the change you want to see in the world. And, you know, I would say don't, you know, don't worry if somebody can do it better. Think about how do you, how do you do it the best way that you can, again, with a team. Um, yeah, and I, I would just encourage, and to start small. I think, you know, I started with, you know, a small program, and then we got bigger and bigger and bigger. So, um, yeah, I would say maybe think big, but start small. And be optimistic, joyful, but with righteous anger. 
Exactly. And um, yeah, and if you surround yourself with with people who believe in you and believe in your, in your dreams or in the work that you do. And also, um, you know, I know people now talk a lot about gratitude. I think also to acknowledge and give credit to the people who 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 let you you know do some of the things that you have dreamed up. I mean, all the work that we've accomplished at Mayusa is because you know we have probably the most brilliant, dedicated, innovative staff, and and not to forget that that um, that's how the work gets done with the people who work with you. That's beautiful. Thank you, Susan. And I wanted to touch on one other thing. It's a little off on the side, and which is um, you had mentioned to me in some of the gatherings that you're in that you are the only disabled CEO present. And I, so I was wondering if you don't mind sharing, uh, how is it leading when you're the only, in this case, the only person riding in a wheelchair right and i know of course i'm sure there are other um, people who probably who might have non-apparent disabilities or who don't self-identify so i just want to acknowledge that but a lot of times um, i am the only definitely the only person in a wheelchair the only person with a visible um, disability and who is a disability activist so i think I think the the responsibility is I am always bringing up the same issue <laughs> because if I don't bring it up, who is going to bring it up? And I feel strongly about it, but it's hard because you feel like, okay, there's Susan saying the same thing again. And, um, and you have to realize, yes, it's true. And yes, I am. And, and hopefully um, soon there'll be, you know, several CEOs with disabilities and then it won't, it won't, you won't be the only one. But then again, you also um, see the power of allies. So I've been in situations where other people were saying the same things or supporting me. And I think that's an important lesson to remember too, that, um, you know, uh, you know, when another group that maybe is not a disability group, um, you know, they they support the work that you're doing, that you you really appreciate that. So trying to always think about how do how do I be as supportive as other people's have been for me. And my guess, that's the same, you know, if you're the only person of color, if you're the only woman, it's just something that happens a lot. So but I, I, I guess the best way of saying it, I feel the responsibility is for me to do something, to say something, to, to even if it's awkward, to stay the course. Because if you, it, you may be the only voice that's gonna, that's gonna voice that, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, Susan, thank you so much for being with us. I was wondering before we close, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you were hoping that we would? Oh, well, I thank you so much, first of all, for this opportunity. Um, no, I just want to really just say that I'm, I'm very grateful and honored to, to have been in this leadership position and um, been able to work with some of the amazing other people who work in the international development space and leadership training space. And, um, you know, every time I hear 
I hear um, from our alumni, you know, one of our one of our uh, sayings in our women's leadership program is loud, proud and passionate. And I'll hear from someone from so many years ago saying, Susan, you know, I'm really feeling loud, proud and passionate. And I got that during the training well, that um, that says it all. Thank you. And there's another good saying for everybody, loud, proud and passionate. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. 